This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. So we started talking about the things that God is doing in us and that the fact that we want to begin to explore and know what it is to live in the spirit dimension. Because everything that God wants to do is going to come out of that dimension. And so what we're doing is we're building an understanding of how it is that the kingdom operates in that space. And we started speaking last week about the fact that God does something inside of us. He makes us brand new. And the reason he makes us brand new is so that we can actually become a holy space for his presence to come and inhabit. So the minute that you got born again, not only were old things passed away and did you become brand new, but it became, you became a habitation for his presence to come on the inside of us. So he lives on the inside of you. That's why he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Everywhere you go, everything you're looking at, everything that you're doing, everything that you're encountering, he's right there with you, which is a wonderful thing. And so we spoke about the fact that his presence is always with us. I want to start this week, and I'm going to speak about it, as I said, over the next couple of weeks, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that it's important, I'm going to start off with some stuff. And at the end of today, I promise you, you're going to be scratching your head saying, I don't know what he's talking about and where he's going. Just stick with me. Just follow me on the journey. It's really important because I don't, I'm just telling you my stuff. Okay. This is from my time with the Holy Spirit. And so you can get your own time. And if you think completely differently to me and you think that, you know, I don't know, I'm way off on my own. It's okay. It's okay. I'm just telling you what I believe the Holy Spirit's given me. And I'll give you scripture reference why I think it's that way. And you go and spend time with him and let him open your eyes of understanding. Is that okay? Okay, but it is important because there, there were some there were things that bothered me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that bothered me most fundamentally was the fact that it said the purpose for the baptism of the Holy Spirit was power. And so there's a place in our lives where we have to be really honest with ourselves. It's kind of like if you buy a, a car and you get the driver's manual and the driver's manual says, if you push this button, the radio will turn itself on. If the radio doesn't turn itself on, there's a problem. What do you do? You take your car back and say it's not working the way that it should. So if the Bible says to me, when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will have power, I'm expecting power. That's what the owner's manual says. So we've got to be honest with ourselves and sit and say, if I don't have that power, why don't I have it? That's what it says you're going to get. I don't have the power like that. I don't. And it's not that I, I never went through a, what would be classified as a baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I don't have that, not to the degree that I want. I pray for things and there are things that happen in my life, but not the way, not to the degree that I really wanted to, not to the degree that the disciples had it, not to the degree that, that many other people, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to mention them as they go through, because sometimes we just think everything happened in the Bible age and it wasn't relevant or pertinent to our modern age and our modern context, and it is very much. And so there are people who are walking in that power. If you want to know how to drive, don't go and find somebody who's had 14 accidents. <laughs> don't, own, don't go and ask an eight-year-old person how to drive. They've never driven in their life. If you want to find out about something, go to somebody who has it. If you want to find out about power, go to the Bible and find out about it. If you want to know about power, go to somebody who's operating in power or who operated in power and sit and say, how did you get that? 
And that, that's why it becomes important for us because we, we can run off with things and we can hold on to things that we really believe are important. But really the thing is, it's, we think more highly of our thoughts sometimes than we ought to. And sometimes we think more highly of them than God does. God loves us too much to leave us with our own thoughts. And sometimes what he wants to do is introduce us to the truth of what the situation is, because in that context, it sets us free and liberates us and introduces us to what we're really looking for. All of us have had teaching up to this point, and it's a good thing. Wonderful. And I, I believe that there's lots of value there, but it's never complete. And sometimes some of the stuff I had, as I told you last week, was not it was just, it was incongruent with what scripture really teaches. So I've had to throw some stuff out. So that's life. Okay. So we're learning and we're growing. So we're starting off with that. What I want to speak about today is the fact that you are a letter written by God. You are a letter written by God. So I'm going to read a couple of scriptures and then we'll get into it. I'm going to start off by reading John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Not a lot of people do that these days. But anyway, I'm just saying. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. Say, so it is to my advantage that Jesus goes away. Because if he doesn't go away, the helper's not coming. He will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The second scripture I want to read is Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Say, I'm going to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. Say, I'm to be a witness for him. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched him, he was taken up in a cloud and received, uh, and the cloud received him out of their sight. So let me give you context for what's happening here. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. But remember, this is right after Jesus had been crucified. He had gone through the crucifixion. He had died and he had been buried. And during that time when Jesus had died, it put the disciples in an interesting place because all of a sudden there was a little bit of confusion about, well, what are we supposed to do now? I mean, Jesus was the one. He was the Messiah. He was Emmanuel. It's like Jesus was here. He was the point man. He gave direction. We knew what we were supposed to be doing because he gave the direction as to what was supposed to happen. But all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a place where Jesus isn't around anymore. And suddenly the disciples are a bit beside themselves and a bit befuddled. And it's like, well, where do we go to from here? What are we supposed to do from here? And nobody really knows. There's a state of confusion that kind of seems to, to move into the space. And it, need, it seems to own the space for a period of time. But not only did he die, but he rose from the dead. And after Jesus had risen from the dead, he went and he met with them. He's meeting with them now. So in amongst these confused disciples, Jesus walks in. And Jesus starts talking to them. 
So their point of context is, Jesus, we're so glad to see that you're here because I can't tell you what's happened since you died. It was a bad thing that you died, but what was even worse for us was the fact that we didn't know what the purpose was. We didn't know what we were supposed to be doing. We didn't know how we were supposed to be doing any of it because it was all about you. And to that, Jesus' response is this. I'm so glad that you're in this place, but I must tell you something. Speaking about my absence, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. That's the context that they're listening to him in. They're sitting saying, nothing good came of it last time. And now all of a sudden you're telling me it's actually to my advantage that you go away. And they're sitting there saying, well, why is this? And he says to them, because if I do not go away, the helper cannot come. What's important for us to understand is this. When the disciples were with Jesus on the earth, Jesus was the one who walked around and Jesus was the one who taught them. Jesus was the one who spent time with them. Jesus was the one who, after he had been out and he had preached, he would separate himself and he would get together with them and he would talk to them about what he had preached and he would unveil it to them and he would introduce them to the truth of what it was all about and he was raising them up and he was changing them. He was introducing them to what God's design was. Jesus was the one who performed the miracles. Jesus was the one who cast out the demons. Jesus was the one who was the catalyst for power. Anytime they needed something to happen, people would look for Jesus. Jesus was everything in the disciples' lives. And so in this context, he says, the reason that it's important for you that I go away, because everything that you've seen of me, everything that I've modeled for you, everything that you've been witness to is supposed to be an idea as to how you are supposed to be living. And the thing about it is, as long as the map, as long as the design for your life is resting with me in the flesh, you can't experience in and of yourself in your spirit. What he's saying is, unless I go away, the spirit cannot come. Listen, this is the principle. The flesh must always make way for the spirit. Unless the flesh makes way for the spirit, what ends up happening is we live with our knowledge and we live with our understanding, but we never get life. What you know about God is so important. What we understand about God is so important. And God will always introduce that to us. The challenge with it is this. Don't live by your knowledge and your understanding only. Unless you take the knowledge and what you know of God and you prepare to let go of your knowledge in pursuit of life, you will always live by the flesh and not the spirit. That's why Jesus says the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. So the fundamental principle that we begin to introduce and we begin to understand is that the reason that it was important for the Spirit to be to come is because the Spirit is going to do some stuff in our lives. The Spirit is going to introduce us to the fullness of what God is all about, and He's going to change and transform us so that we become a brand new creation in Him. What He's saying is everything that I've promised you, everything that you are about to become, none of it, none of it can become a reality as long as you're approaching the things of God from your flesh and your understanding. It's once you begin to leave that behind and as you begin to move out of the fleshly arena and you begin to explore the spirit arena that you'll define, that you'll find the spirit. And the spirit is the one who will birth life in you. What is he trying to do? He's trying to do some stuff in your life that you're not capable of getting outside of him. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, 
temperance, long-suffering, faith. What is he doing? He's taking the things of who he is, and what he's saying to us is this. You can't get this in and of yourself. I'm going to introduce you to what it is. You want to live from joy? You want to be a person of joy? Try. The challenge with it is, as long as we live in the flesh, we take the principles of God and we try to live them out. We try to take our life and mold our life according to what the insight and the principle is. We try to be joyful per people. The problem with it is, what we're doing is we're molding our life after a principle as opposed to going to the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to birth the seed of joy on the inside of me. When He births joy on the inside of me, what ends up happening is, it's not something I'm trying to be. It is something Something that defines my nature and my character. The flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. Everything that happens in our life, everything that goes on in relationship with God is going to happen in that arena. It was an interesting time because at that space, they were part of the book, but it was the end of the chapter. When chapters change, it's never an easy thing. Because when a chapter closes, what ends up happening is that dispensation, everything that categorized that period of time, everything that was part of the, the, the realities that defined that space comes to an end. And the chapter ends, and what ends up happening is a new chapter begins. And what the disciples weren't aware of and had only discovered down the way was that Jesus was introducing them to the reality that there was a new dispensation coming into play. What he was saying was the dispensation and what has been happening in lives and what has characterized the kingdom up until this point is shifting. And understand the new dispensation is going to be characterized by the Holy Spirit. It was a new dispensation. When we talk about dispensations, what we're talking about is we're talking about new times. What he was talking about, he was talking about the system of governance. He was talking about those things that define the way that the kingdom works. And what he was saying was the way that the kingdom worked and the way that they used, the kingdom used to operate was part of the old chapter. But the chapter's finishing. The chapter's closed. The new dispensation's opening up. And with the new dispensation, the dispensation of the Spirit, the kingdom's not going to work like it worked anymore. Now the kingdom's going to be inside you. The kingdom is going to be on the inside of you. What he was saying was everything that you're looking for from God, any engagement with God, any blessing from God, any provision from God, what God is wanting to do in your life is going to be birthed from the inside outwards. It's coming from what's happening on the inside. He's put his life on the inside of us for a reason. He's put it there for a purpose. The kingdom is on the inside of us, and it's going to move from inside outwards. God is fighting tooth and nail to get out of you. But he can't get out of you by jumping out. The way that God gets out of you is he moves through the layers of who you are. He's doing some stuff so that he's bearing, he is clawing his way out. But as he's moving outwards, it's everything he touches gets changed and influenced by who he is. And so when he gets to the outside, you're going to be a different person. He's doing something working from the inside out. And the reason that he's working from the inside out is because that's where his life is. That's where his nature is. That's where the habitation is. He's doing something to make 
me a witness. To make you a witness. We read it there. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I find this for myself. I've got to know what the end goal is. You can get so caught up in process that I'm doing a lot of stuff. Why am I doing this? What's the purpose of it all? Is it just because I'm bad? Is he trying to make me better? Is he trying to make my life cushy? What is he trying to do? He's going to answer your question. He's trying to make you a witness. He's trying to make you a witness. Not just a witness of anything. He wants to make you a witness of Christ. Have a look. I'm going to read this out of the Passion, but have a look at 2 Corinthians um, chapter 3. Verse 3. Actually, let me read it up here. Okay, let me read it. We are living letters written by Christ. Say, I'm a living letter written by Christ. I'm a living letter written by Christ. Not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not carved on stone tablets, but on the tablets of tender hearts. He's telling us a few things. He's telling us that he sees you as a letter. He is writing a letter to the world. And you're it. You're it. What he's telling us is this. He's writing a letter to the world, but it's a letter that's going to be authored by him. It's of Christ. Which means that I start to have a look at if he's using me to be a letter to the world, there's no space for me to be the author. Then he goes on to sit and say, he's not doing it in ink, but he's doing it by the Spirit. What he's saying is, I want you to understand how I'm going to be doing this. The scribe in this instance is the Spirit. But the Spirit lives on thee. And where is he going to write this letter that you're going to take and you're going to communicate to the world? Not on tablets of stone, but on my your heart and your mind. Your mind. That's what he's doing. He's making you a letter. He's sending you out. You know why? Because every place where you go, when you go into that space and you meet somebody, should you tell should I know what should I tell you what they should be left with? I saw him and I saw the father. I saw him and I saw the father. I heard him and I heard the father. I encountered him and I encountered the father. When people run into you, what are they left with? They ran into Gavin or they ran into him. It's not a bad thing. I'm just telling you, this is the journey we're on. He's using you and he's doing something in your life because he's crafting a letter that he's sending to the world. Not a letter of judgment, not a letter of criticism, but a letter of love. He's writing a letter to them directly from God and you are the one who's going to convey that letter. You are the letter. When people read you, they're reading the letter. When people encounter you, they're encountering the letter. When people are spoken to by you from the abundance of the heart, Where's he writing the letter? The mouth speaks. What's coming out of your mouth? Is the letter speaking? 
Is it influencing your world because it comes from your heart? So it becomes important because what defines the essence of who we are, what defines our heart comes out of our mouth. And so if what defines my heart is authored by me, what comes out of my mouth is authored by me. But if I let the Holy Spirit write the letter of love on my heart, it means who I am changes and becomes different. And so when I speak, I speak from a place not from me, but from him. And my words carry weight and influence. He's doing something on the inside of us because he's writing a letter. What it means is we're in process. You're not the letter right now. I'm not. But it's okay. I know what he's doing. And as long as I know what he's doing, I can partner with him. And it's important for me to partner with him because ultimately I know where he wants to lead me, to be a witness. What he wants me to be is he wants to be a letter written, uh, read by all men. Read by all men. So how is he doing this? If he's writing a letter and the Holy Spirit is responsible for doing this, it was better for Jesus to go away so that the Spirit could come. Where did the Spirit come? We dealt with it last week. I'm making a brand new creation in Christ. All things have passed away and all things have become brand new. Legally, you're as righteous as you're ever going to be. When Jesus looks at you, he sees you through the blood of Jesus. You will never be more righteous than who you are. It's a, it doesn't change. There are not degrees or levels of righteousness. In God's economy, you are as righteous as you will ever get. And it was because of your righteousness that made you a holy place for the indwelling of his spirit. So his spirit comes and his spirit is living on the inside of us. But his spirit is active. His spirit is living. The thing that most characterizes the spirit of God is the descriptor life. Life is never dead. Life doesn't sit there and do nothing. Life is active. Life is moving. Life has influence. Don't think for a moment that the Holy Spirit moved into your space just to sit there and have a relaxing time. Life is working on the inside of you. Life is doing something on the inside of you because you may be legally righteous, but he's crafting a letter. And the way for him to take legally righteous and for people to experience legally righteous is he has to take of who he is. He has to take of the spirit of Christ and he has to renew our minds. What is he doing? Our minds are important because our minds are the, the fertile soil from which we live. Everything that seeds our mind determines how we live. What is he doing? He's sitting saying, it's not good enough that I've just moved into the space. Because the problem with it is people can't see me. They've got to get through your flesh, through your beliefs, through your understandings, through your engagements, through your behaviors. And so what I've got to do is I've got to take who I am. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take life, peace, patience, love, joy. What is he doing? He's seeding who I am. Why? Because when I live from him in me, it affects how I behave in the world. And people come in contact with it and say, you're different. What are they doing? They're starting to read the letter. They're starting to read the letter. Why is it important for you? Because you're a nasty person. <laughs> you didn't think that, but it's true. Let me give you an idea. 
Because we're all in the same boat. Fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. What motivates God most is his love for people. I don't know about you, but there's some halfwits in this world. There's some people who drive me crazy. There's some people who irritate the living daylights out of me. There's some people who are nasty. There are some people who say some ugly things. There's some people I don't want to be around. Why? Because what happens is I don't have the love of God birthed on the inside of me. So what ends up happening is I don't read their heart. I esteem them according to their behaviors. I don't like you because of this. And God's like, ugh. We've got to get writing the letter, writing the letter. Why? Because when I live from love, I don't look at your faults. I don't look at your problems. I don't look at your issues. I don't look at the fact that you're not perfect. I looked at the fact that who you are and I see you the way he sees you. And I sit and say, you know what? If I can just put the seed in there, he'll start to craft a letter through you too. We don't see the world and people the way he does. And so what we do is, instead of seeing it through love, we see it through a soil that's been defined by me. So we judgmental and we critical and we have a look at people and we deal with them in ways that are not good. Why? Because I seeded that space, but I haven't had love come into that place yet. I can try to be loving. I can try really hard. But honestly, I just want to wring your neck. <laughs> Why? Because I'm trying to do it in the flesh. I, I got to go back to the author who's writing the letter. If he doesn't write it on my heart, it doesn't become a part of who I am. I'm just trying to do it. But the minute you walk around the corner, I'm going to go and tell everybody about how what a rotten person you are. Why? Because I don't have love born on the inside of me. What's important is this. The reason that the Spirit is there is not just for us to enjoy, but because he's crafting a letter. The reason that he's touching and he's changing you is because you are the letter. The letter is the witness to the world to be read by the world. We live from what's in our heart. We seed our heart or he seeds our heart. Somebody seeds it. So your spirit is important. Your mind, the essence of who you are, the, that place from which we live and, and move and have our being, that place that is the seat of our judgments. He's looking for that as well. But I know we think God stops there. He doesn't. God wants all of you. And so he moved in, not only so that you could be recreated as a brand new creation, not so that you could just have his nature on the inside of you, not just so that your mind could be renewed, so that you have him dwelling and defining who you are and how you live, but he wants your flesh as well. He wants your body. What? <laughs> yeah, he does. But your body is different to everything else. You see, in everything else that you have, God's going to come in and God is going to birth his nature in that space. And when he births and seeds his nature in that space, we live from what he gives us. But your body is different. Until you end up having a glorified body, your body will always challenge the things of God. That's why he says to you, he doesn't look for your body to become an expression and made new like your mind is. What he says to us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is it's good for you to bring your body as a living. 
I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What he's saying is this, the letter, the letter that I'm writing, understand this, you can marry me in that space. Your mind, in essence, is who you are and how you decide to. You, that's who makes the decisions about everything in your life. You make the decisions about who seeds your heart. Your mind does. He gets all of that stuff. But what he's saying is, we're going to move into a different arena. The fact of the matter is, we need for your flesh to partner with us. The thing about it is, your flesh isn't going to become like Jesus' body. So what ends up happening is, at this place, it's just going to have to live in subjection to your authority. What he's saying is, my senses all live in my body. The things that I feel like doing, the way that I feel like behaving, the way that I feel like living, the way that I think about things. And we live in a day and age, unfortunately, where so much of that stuff is esteemed and valued. The whole point about inclusivity is the fact that, you know, everybody should have the prerogative to feel the way that they want to feel. And everybody should embrace everything as truth. We esteem how we feel. We esteem what we think. And so what ends up happening is, every time there's a situation that's at play, my flesh makes a petition to my mind. And my flesh says, I want to deal with it like this. Do you know what the petition comes in the form of? It's a thought. You know what? They're a rotten little scoundrel. I'll tell you what you do. You just let them have it like they've never had it before. You, they've made you so angry about stuff. I'll tell you what you do. You just criticize them and tear them to shreds. I'm making a petition and I'm justifying it to my mind. But what does God say? God says, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What he's saying is this, understand this, before you never had options because you never had the spirit living on the inside of you. But all of a sudden, the spirit of Christ lives on the inside of you. And so when a thought comes to you and says, you know what, deal with it like this. You got a choice. You got a choice. Because your body is petitioning your mind. Do what your flesh feels like. Deal with it this way. And every time I give into the flesh, what I do is I allow it to usurp my authority and run the situation. Instead of being at a place where I sit and say, you know what? Sin has no authority over me. Sin has no dominion over me because I live under grace. What it's saying is Jesus paid the price so that I don't have to listen to you. You can petition all you want. I don't have to do it. Why? Because I'm taking you captive to the authority of Christ who paid the price so that I don't have to listen to you. And the way that I'm going to move forward in this situation is by letting the Holy Spirit give me definition as to what it's going to look like. This is how I practically changed my life. This is how I practically moved to a place where I allow the Holy Spirit to take those things of me that are just not bad inclusions and paragraphs in the letter. And she says, take some white out and get rid of it and replace it with something of him. He's writing the letter. He's writing the letter. Because at the end 
of moving in, at the end of authoring and making my mind new, at the end of taking authority and for me to move to the place where I live with the living sacrifice called my flesh, it introduces me to being a witness. In that place, I'm an effective witness for him. Because in that place, people move to a place where they sit and say, if you've seen me, you can say you've seen the Father. It's the principle that Jesus lived by. What Jesus said was this, not my will, but thine be done. What was he saying? He was saying, I was conceived of the Holy Spirit. I'm guided by the Holy Spirit. And I understand that what is what takes precedent in this place is the fact that I'm to be a letter written by the Father to the world. And so anytime I try to write that letter and take responsibility by allowing my will to come into that place, I'm adding some additions to the letter. But I'll tell you what, not my will, but thy will be done. So in every space, I'm looking for the Holy Spirit to come in, and I am intentionally resigning to him as the author. You do this. Let your will be known in this situation. Let me allow you to have influence in this space. I don't want to conform to things. I'm allowing you to birth newness in the space all the time. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Not my will, but thine be done. The thing about it is, it's awareness of the fact that you are a person who can change. You can change. You are never stuck. All of us have a past. All of us had some stuff that happened to us. And some people's pasts are more have, have more damaging and, and destructive pasts to them than some other people do. I don't know. I can just run my journey. Mine was relatively tame, but I can tell you, I still came out there with some perceptions about stuff that was completely wrong. But I just interpreted situations that way. So it started to establish and seed my life in certain ways. Understand that your heart is soil. And at any point, you can sit and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to live by your will be done, not mine. What it's saying is you seed it. If you let the Holy Spirit seed it, what he's putting in your heart or in your heart today is what you're going to look like tomorrow because that seed will grow up and bear fruit. Not my will, but thine be done. He's calling us to be a, written, a letter written of him and read by the world. Amen. His master plan is this. His master plan has a family focus. He's all about family. And the family focus is all about creating sons and daughters. The reason that birthing is important is because, you know what? Whoever conceived me is usually is who I end up looking like. When people look at me, they say, you look a lot like your dad in certain ways. Why? Because he's my father. There is a lot to be said for the old adage, like father, like son. You see, it's not only that he seeded me in his nature, but living in his presence means that I inherited some of his idiosyncrasies. I inherited some of the ways that he sees things. I inherited a whole bunch of stuff from him. And so there are times where I can go and I'll do things in certain ways and people will say, you look just like your dad did. You sound just like your dad. Why? Because 
I was born of him. And I inherited stuff from being around him. He's creating sons and daughters. When we understand the value of that, we begin to realize the fact that what he's doing on the inside of us is completely re uh, reliant on genetics, the birthing of his nature in me. I can't try and pretend like I'm one of his kids. You either are or you aren't. You're either born of him or you're not. So the spirit becomes very important to us because it's birthing stuff in us. It's birthing stuff in us. Remember, anytime you take something of God and you try to make it happen, what you're doing is you're taking a spiritual principle that is given life when the Holy Spirit gets hold of it, and what you're doing is you're taking it and applying it in the natural. So what ends up happening is I start to develop a form that looks like it, but really it isn't it. We call that religion. Religion. And it's really hard because the thing is, it's so much easier to live from a happy heart than to pretend you've got one. When you have a happy heart, you live from that place. Everything's like, I live because it's me. But when my, my life is hard and things are heavy, and I think that that's the responsibility that I have because that's a characteristic of who he is. I'm trying really, really hard to be happy, but actually in truth, I'm very depressed on the inside. That's why religion kills, but the spirit gives life. Religion kills, but the spirit gives life. Uh, let me just touch on this, and, then it, and it's a good place to end because then we'll carry on next week. Wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Wait until the Holy Spirit is upon you. We live in a society that is so fast-tracked. It's so immediate. We love convenience and we want everything to happen right now. But the fact of the matter is nothing happens right now of any consequence. Nobody ever woke up and rolled out of bed and was at the Olympics the next day. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Why? Because it took training and it took investment and it took a whole bunch of stuff to get to that point. It's the same spiritually. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm leading into it, but I'll, I'll carry on with this next week. It's the same spiritually. You don't earn spiritual things, but if you really value sp spiritual things, you invest in spiritual things. And when you invest in spiritual things, you reap spiritual dividends, but it doesn't just happen. Sometimes, our spiritual, no, not sometimes, always, your spiritual maturity takes time. And that's okay. Wait. Wait doesn't mean that you're sitting there not doing anything. Wait means I'm sitting engaged with the Holy Spirit at that point. And in that moment, he's preparing me for the next stage. In that place, he's doing something on the inside of me. So that when, he's, when I'm finished waiting, the person who came into waiting is not the person who's leaving waiting. I'm not sitting there in suspension. I'm at a place where I recognize the fact that he's authoring something in my life. And he needs some time to do that. Give yourself time. You're not going to be a world changer because you got born again this morning. It just doesn't happen. Just go, it's not a bad thing. That's a call, but he's preparing you for that. When Saul met Jesus, the first thing that he did right after the whole incident, everything that happened, he went off into the Arabian desert for a few years. Why? Because I needed time to prepare. What is he doing? Waiting. Waiting. 
Waiting with the Holy Spirit, sitting saying, you know what? I know that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. I know that you're wanting to author something in my life so that when I go out into that space, people sit and they, they engage with me and they sit and say, you've been with God. He's written all over you. It's not a bad thing. And my encouragement to you is be intentional about it. I'm waiting. I'm letting the Holy Spirit do some stuff in me. I'm letting him take the things of who he is and touch me and change me and transforming my mind. I'm allowing him to move into that space so that he's preparing me for what the next stage is going to be. And I'll know when I'm there. It's not a cop-out. It's not an excuse. It's not because I'm not spiritual. It's because I recognize and I value the life that's on the inside of me. And I want to make myself available to his influence. And I'm not so busy running around trying to do all the other things that I don't recognize the value of investment. It's okay to do that. I would encourage you to do that. Once you start that journey, it actually never ends. But it sets you up for something that he wants to give you, the promise of the Father. Sometimes we want to inherit some things that we're just not in a place and we're not ready to inherit just yet. And we don't understand why, why we didn't get it the way we should. And it has nothing to do with anything other than, I believe, maturity. So we'll talk about that next week. Father, I just want to thank you for what you're doing in the lives of each person here. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that as you're alive and you're living and you're dynamic and your life is inside of us, I will invite you to come into the space and to change each one of us. I pray, Father, that each, every person here, I pray that they'll recognize your prompting and your influence in their life and they'll open themselves up and live by the, the foundational creed, not my will, but thy will be done. I want to thank you, Father, that you're in the process of writing a letter. A, le a letter to be read by the world. We invite you into the space and we, we allow you to do that. I want to thank you, Father. It doesn't matter what we feel. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter about anything else. We live by the belief that you've promised. He who began a good work in me is faithfully completing it. And although things may take time, and although it may take time for seeds to grow and to develop and to mature, I want to thank you, Father, that life is alive on the inside of us. I bless you for the week that lies ahead. I pray, Father, that you open up opportunities for every person here to let who you are shine through them. I pray blessing over every person. I pray favor. I pray provision. Pray prosperity. In Jesus' name, amen.